earlier, there's no children's church this morning, but even before we get into the message and all of that, I just want to take some time to uh, to pray as we are in the Lord's presence here and to, uh, I know not all of you may be a part of the 40 days of prayer the Christian Mission Alliance do, we, many of us are doing, uh, the prayer guides are out there, you've seen them on the email that you've gotten um, where you can get that whole the whole packet so to speak and uh, there are uh, scriptures and devotions and prayer points uh, for each day of the week as we're going through these 40 days and uh, as well the opportunity on the church uh, uh, church center Dot com, kind of what we call a church app, but you can get it on computer or on your phone, either way, uh, for those to just participate in discussing this. And this week has been about reawakening to the church of Christ. The church was purchased by Christ, initiated by Christ, is under the ownership and the leadership of Christ. He is in position to tell us the purpose and function of the church, and we are to submit to his ownership and headship. Think about Jesus' intent for the church and how we are to live into that intent. Intent. I just want to take some time, if you join your hearts with me, as we pray through a number of those things that many of us have been praying this week. Uh, some of the prayer points that we've not only been praying together as a church, but as the alliance across uh, this country and even across the world. Let's come before the Lord. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to turn our gaze upon you was the high and exalted one that we would worship you in your supremacy we thank you that you are the head you are the leader over all open the eyes of our heart that we will know your incomparably great power for us who believe I, I Pray that not just someday, right now. But you are here. Meet us in this moment. Open the eyes of our hearts to know your incomparably great power for us to who believe. Even as we just sang about. Pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to empower the church to live as your body. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you shed your blood to purchase the church and that you have given us the gift of being able to be a part of your family. Show us if there is a brother and sister in Christ that somehow we have felt unworthy of their equal place in your house. That somehow we have been judgmental and not recognizing that even as mentioned earlier, even in the darkness, there's still a brother and sister.
needs your help to surrender to the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit so that your work can be done for your glory. Give us the opportunity and boldness to proclaim the love of Jesus to those in the world that so desperately need you, Savior. Show us the sanctifying work that you want to do, not just in us as individuals, but us as a church. Work in us. Finish your work that you've begun. Help us as citizens of heaven to be your ambassadors. First and foremost, but forgive us, forgive the church who has been so distracted as late in, in the last few years, the church, especially in the United States, distracted with so many different things that are not your priority, not your mission. Worrying about what's true, and yet forgetting the truth of Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. That people are not hearing about because they're hearing so many other things. Help us to live out a ministry of reconciliation. Make the truth of you, Jesus, fresh and beautiful in our hearts. Especially to those that this all, even you, has become dry and stale. To those that need an awakening, a revival. And Lord, it would be hard to imagine that there is any one of us who would not say that we need to be revived even more than where we are, more fire, more power, more of you, more like you. Move in us, Jesus. Move. Even now as we open your word. Help us open our hearts and our minds, our very lives. We have not come to a classroom. To somehow learn something new, but to be new. Be made new in your image, Jesus. Do the work that you want to do. Transform us, not just as individuals, but together as your church, that we may transform our community, our area, and beyond. 
what you are doing. So we commit ourselves in this time to you right now. Speak, Lord Jesus, your servants are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, from, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. How many of you are called by a nickname? Like, my name is Timothy, but most people don't call me Timothy unless I'm in trouble. Right? You know, Tim. You know, we have nicknames that kind of go with our name, although some I don't understand, like John and Jack uh, or Sarah and Sally somehow are the same. But, you know, we have those kind of nicknames. But more interesting are the nicknames that people kind of give you that are not related, not related to your actual name, you know, like, hey, Slim, or Chief, or Buck, or Doc, or... You know, how many of you ever were given a nickname growing up, whether by friends or family? Like, it wasn't your name, but just given a name. Why don't you just share that with somebody beside you? Tell, tell somebody, what was the nickname that you were given? You know, tell somebody, you know, that, that, that we all have these kind of different, take that moment. You know, and some, some nicknames, they're, they don't necessarily match, but that's on purpose. It's kind of ironic kind of thing. Like, you know, in Robin Hood... Remember, Little John, you know, or in the Three Stooges, Curly. He looked like me. Right? You know, those are the kind of things. That, but it, still, it made sense. You kind of got it. There's all kinds of different nicknames. Well, uh, long ago, on the, uh, seems long ago, on the Steelers, uh, Jerome Bettis was called the boss, you know, and, and you kind of, you got that. And, and so, too, there is someone that we're going to look at today with that same nickname of the bus. Well, technically not the bus. It's Barnabas. Uh, yeah, I know. Most of you got that, I think. Others of you just let it bounce off, right? But really, we're looking at a man called Barnabas here right in Acts. In fact... I just read that, but let's look back at what it talks about him in verse 36 of Acts chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now we read his actual name, his real name, so to speak, if you want to say it that way, is Joseph. 
But as far as I can tell, I don't ever see that name Joseph happen again, referring to him throughout all the many different places he's mentioned in the New Testament. Instead, they always call him by his nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. We looked at that word encouragement a couple of weeks ago because we were commanded commanded to encourage one another. You remember that from the passage in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not going to read that, but you see it up on the screen there. We had looked at about how we are to encourage one another. And if you remember when we talked about that word encouraging or encouragement, encourage, it had different nuances like comfort, consolation, exhortation. More literally, it was about coming alongside someone. Note also that same word at times is used to describe the Holy Spirit's role as comforter. The one who comes alongside. This is who Barnabas was called. And we first meet up with him here in Acts chapter 4. He is among others who are selling their land and possessions, giving to the Lord from grateful hearts to try to uh, help others. And yet what made Joseph into a Barnabas was not that he sold land and gave all the money to the church. Because let's face it, we're reading this passage, there were others doing the same thing. None of them were called a son of encouragement. Just Barnabas was. So Barnabas was called son of encouragement. Joseph was called this son of encouragement, not because of what he did, not because of what he said, but because of who he was. This was his character. Therefore, his nickname. A quality that was so strong in him that they could not think of anything else to call this man except Barnabas, son of encouragement. And I believe God has put a spotlight on Barnabas in his word, even for us. Even though Barnabas is somebody that's in the background of the other church, he was important. He was an important example then. He's an important example to us, especially in living out the call to encourage one another. God has commanded us to encourage one another. We see an example here of someone who's called literally an encourager. I mean, that's what it's all about. In fact, God's message for us today is simply this, to be a Barnabas, to be sons and daughters of encouragement. Each and every one of us called to be this. Not just about what we do, you know, a few weeks ago, said, you know, we need to encourage one another. There are encouragement cards still sitting it out in the back there, and you can grab those and encourage, and we can encourage somebody. We can do that. But what God is looking for is something more than that, for us to be encouragers, to be sons and daughters of encouragement, living it every day with every person. Now, what does that mean? Uh, What does that look like? And we're going to dig a little deeper into the life of Barnabas today, kind of do a little history of of who he is and walk right through the scriptures with him. What being a Barnabas actually looks like, what being a son of encouragement actually looks like by looking at Barnabas. The first thing is being a Barnabas means believing the best in others. That's is seen in the next chapter of Barnabas' life. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Hopefully you're in chapter 4 and 9. And by the way, if you ever need a Bible as you're here, 
while you uh, or forgot yours or need one, they are in the back again at both where the offering boxes are. Acts chapter 9, if you would look at verse 26 in Acts chapter 9. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join, and this is talking about Saul slash Paul. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when he, talking Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and he debated with Grecian Jews and they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, uh, First off, uh, let, let's make sure we understand the scene here. Saul, on the road to Damascus, had an encounter with Jesus. Actually, let's even rewind before that. This Saul or Paul, prior to his conversion in Christ, was on a mission from God to wipe out Christians and the church. I mean, even right before this, in Acts chapter 7, if you just go back a, uh, probably a, a page or so uh, in your Bibles, in Acts chapter 7, in verse 58, as it was at the stoning of Stephen, when they were stoning Stephen, it, it talks about they, in verse 58, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were there stoning, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. So there was Saul, the Pharisee among Pharisees, at, not only at the stoning of Stephen, but this Pharisee among Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin was seen breathing out murderous threats all over the place. It, it goes on in chapter 8 there. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Acts 8.1 And on that day, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women, and put them in prison. And then, Saul showed up at the door in Jerusalem, wanting to be a part of everything that's going on. In chapter 9, in chapter 9, in verse 21, All those who heard him, talking about Paul, were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take prisoners, the chief priests? Uh, King James says, Isn't this the one 
who destroyed them. Is not this he that destroyed them which call upon this name in Jerusalem? And now here's Paul at the door saying, hey, he's trying to join in verse 26 through 30 in chapter 9. He's trying to join with the disciples. But they didn't trust him. They didn't trust that Saul had become a disciple of Jesus, let alone an apostle of Jesus. You understand, one of the things that makes one apostle is that you've seen the Lord Jesus. Even seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. And if you can imagine being the disciples at that time and be like, ah, come on, he saw. I mean, first of all, that he's converted and that he saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. You don't talk to me, he saw Jesus. We saw Jesus when he was here and we saw him taken up in the air and leave into heaven. And we're telling me that he, Paul saw, 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 saw him. Yeah. It, you, know, you know, it's just imagine that just the incredulous looks on people's faces like, Saul? Really? After all he has done to Christians and the church, you really think God, Jesus, met Saul and redeemed him? Surely the talk, somebody said, hey, did you hear Saul came to Christ? No. I mean, no. No way. And even if he did, there's no way I am going anywhere near him. Too many unanswered questions. No clear assurance. Besides, we've seen this ploy throughout history, right? Spies pretending to be a part and infiltrating the ranks and gather information until they, the takedown comes and they wipe everyone out. This was just a trick by Saul or Paul. By the way, it's the difference between a Hebrew name and a Greek name. That's all, you know, so he's the same guy. In Acts chapter 9, in verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. At best, it's possible and probable that the apostles would have forgiven Paul for the terrible things that he had done. But out of concern, out of caution, we can understand them not necessarily wanting to open the door to a potential converted wolf, not by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. Right? Oh! And the fact is, on the other side, it wasn't any better because the the Jewish leaders, the uh, you know, coming from the Pharisees, Jewish leaders, and all the others, were out to kill Saul. So here he was, between a rock and a hard place, no one to turn to, nowhere to go, stuck. He had come to know Christ, and life gets better when you come to know Christ. You know, sometimes it's difficult, and here he was in a difficult place, and then along comes the son of encouragement, Barnabas, who believed the best. In Paul. Barnabas showed his name by talking about Paul to the leaders of the church. And obviously, he must have met previously with Saul. It's not like Saul was just, hey, there's a guy over there and he wants to get in. Ah, yeah, come on. Now, 
we see Barnabas talking to the leaders about Saul and his conversion and what happened. So that means he talked with them. That means he, he, didn't, he didn't just kind of like, well, whatever. He tried to seek out the truth. Surely he prayed beforehand before putting the leaders in potential danger. Barnabas was not naive, but he was brave to stick his neck out there for Paul, who could very easily have just cut it off by being some great actor. Here was Barnabas, respected among the people, putting his reputation on the line for a bad person. Sometimes it takes courage to encourage others, to believe the best. And as far as we can tell, it's not like Barnabas and Saul had any prior connection. They didn't go to separate schools together. Are you there? Uh, you know, they, they, they didn't like best buddies. They didn't, you know, Barnabas wasn't like, ah, Saul, this young Saul reminds me of a younger me. No, Saul wasn't anything like Barnabas. Those two were very different from one another in their personalities, in the way that they did things. But what they shared was a changed heart for God and a desire to follow Jesus. And Barnabas, believing the best, came alongside Saul. That's what encouragement is about. He came alongside Saul in this way. And it worked. Because Paul was welcome in. In fact, a little later... Even Peter and Paul hit it off together. You see that in Galatians 1, 18. How easy is it to be a Barnabas with people that we run into? It's hard sometimes to be real encouragement if, if we're not believing the best about somebody. How do you really encourage somebody if you're believing the worst, if you're expecting them to fall short? Not just because of what they've done, but you're really expecting them to fall short because of who they are. I mean, that's just who they are, right? Believe the best. This person, that's just who they are. I mean, who would you rather have encouraging you? Someone who believes the best about you or someone who believes the worst? Which one? Barnabas can be, it can be difficult being a Barnabas depending on the kind of glasses that you're wearing that color how you look at people. Looking through glasses that are already prejudged certain people. I don't trust anyone who does fill in the blank or is like. I know for some people, the fill in the blank, I don't trust anyone who is breathing. Okay, I know that's kind of that, that, that's for some people, but what is it, you know? There are certain people that are like this or that they do this. It's like, okay, somebody else can be really bad and do those kind of things. But if they do this, ooh, or if they say this. And so many times there's a past experience that colors are present. Wearing glasses that are darkly tinted with unforgiveness because we have not gotten to the point of total forgiveness. Or... Our glasses are tinted with fear, afraid of a number of things like, if I stick my neck out, I'm just going to get hurt. But fear and love do not coexist. 
1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. That doesn't say a perfect person that I'm loving. As long as they're perfect, then I don't have any fear. It's love, and the love comes from where? Not from within us, so to speak, but from God. Through us. For all that matters, not only do fear and love not belong together, neither do fear and faith. What is the greatest need? We look at what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord our God with everything we've got. And the second one is like it, to love others as yourself. I mean, when you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I just, I'm not going to turn there right now, but I just encourage you, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, especially at the beginning, verses 4 to 7. We're struggling with somebody, struggling to be encouraging to them. I want you to read that. Obviously, you know, things in there is like love is patient, love is kind, right? So put your name. Tim is patient with this person. Tim is kind because love is what we're supposed to be. In fact, as you get to the end, that's where we say love believes the best. That's what love does. As we talk about Barnabas believing the best, it's not just that he believed the best about Paul or Saul. It's more about that he believed the best about God. Even when it dealt with the one of the worst persecutors of the church. He believed the best about God, even as it came to dealing with the one of the worst persecutors of the church. Think about it today in Christians and how they're praying for, for people. Think about how we're praying for those who, who seem to be on the other side. How do we pray? How do you usually hear people pray? And oftentimes it's God smite them, judge them, take out Paul. Take out this person. Get that person out of power. Get that person out of here. God, bring them down. Not God, bring Paul into the fold with us. Do we pray that way? we don't believe the best oh no you know you got to know them no i know god that's the point there are people who look at someone and say hey a leopard will never change its spots that's just the way it's always been that's the way it will always be and if that's the way you think it is impossible for this person to be different and yet our God deals in the impossible. Even as we see it right here in the radical, amazing 180 degree change in Paul that happened. Not because Paul decided to change his way. Not because Paul got tired of going down the wrong road. Not because Paul wanted to be a better man. But because Paul met Jesus Christ who changed him completely forever. 
saved him to the uttermost and made him into a complete new creation. When we're talking about being an encourager, a son or daughter of encourager, encouragement to someone, we recognize that our believing the best is not just about them, but about the best that God can do. And as long as we don't, how do we really think it's going to go? Being a Barnabas means believing the best. But here's the second point. Being a Barnabas means bringing out the best in others. Look at Acts chapter 11. We move on to the next part of uh, Barnabas's life here. Acts chapter 11 in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to faith, or were brought to the Lord. The Lord is working among the Gentiles here in such a way that the church... Leaders said, you know, we need to send someone to check that out. To check it out, but also to encourage them if that's what's needed. So who are they going to call? Barnabas. It's going to call Barnabas. The son of encouragement. Not just because his fellow men from Cyprus were there, but because Barnabas was the one who was ready, willing, and able to enter into this unique situation where perhaps if there are others from Jerusalem who would have went, because as you read that, as I read that at the beginning, you notice most of them went to the fellow Jews, but there were these outliers who went to the Greeks. Barnabas was sent because he was not as narrow-minded and not as rigid because he was willing to not only believe the best in others, but to bring out the best in others, no matter who they were. Barnabas was somebody who was a son of encouragement, who was not going to pour water, cold water on what was going on there, but instead fan into flame what God was doing at a very crucial junction in the life of the church. This was something that would determine the direction of which way the church would really go. Barnabas showed himself deeply concerned about people, excited about encouraging life, that is transformed by Jesus. He was able in so many different ways. He, as, a, as a Levite, he may have had experience and knowledge. Uh, as just a, a man, he kind of commanded attention. We read in Acts 14 that they, uh, some of the people thought he was Zeus, you know, and that's, it would make him a, a rather large, uh, maybe intimidating, but kind of man, and yet he was kind of a teddy bear because they just saw his life and it was like, Wow, this guy is amazing. And I say that because look at verse 24 in chapter 11. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A Barnabas, 
being that one that wasn't just like, hey, let's send Barnabas down there because he talks good. Because uh, he can do some really rousing sermons for them. No, because he was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's what made a difference. That's what encouraged them. Because of who he was. Not because of what he said or what he did. But because of who he was. That made a difference. That brought out the best in people. You know, you hear some Christians today sometimes say, you know, I got these unbelievers that I I just will not accept the truth about Jesus, no matter how many times I tell them. But perhaps it also has to do with how many ways we tell them. Because oftentimes all we're doing is telling people in our life with our lips about Jesus, but not telling them about Jesus with our life. You see, people are listening to more than just our words. And if we're going to be an encouragement to them to come to Christ, we need to be the real deal. Like Barnabas here. A Barnabas who, as we uh, look in chapter 11, as we read on from where we were in verse 25 in Acts 11. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great number of people. The disciples were first were called Christians first at Antioch. So here's Barnabas, maybe 10 years later, after he first believed the best for Saul, says, and things were going good. We read in the previous verse, things were going good in Antioch and the work of what Barnabas was doing. But he goes to get Saul. Not necessarily whether he needed him, to do the work there, although it's always nice to have somebody help. But because he wanted to bring out the best in Saul. He went out of his way. He could have gone much closer to Jerusalem. He could have gone much closer to get somebody else who's had experience and bring him to Antioch. But instead, he went to get Paul. And we see this humble servant character of Barnabas bringing Paul on mission, and it worked. Paul was a help. You read about what takes place. He made a noticeable difference in this ministry, so noticeable that the church and God noticed what was going on. And in Acts chapter 13, the first part of it, the church and the Holy Spirit said, put, set apart Barnabas and Saul and sent them out on this missionary journey to go encourage the churches. I mean... Because he was willing, because Barnabas was willing to go out, out of his way, get a hold of Paul, to try to bring out the best in him. We saw God not just use it then, but use it for something so much greater. Barnabas stepped out and encouraged this Paul who would eventually overshadow him, who was more gifted, who uh, was better versed in scripture, a better speaker, a better pioneering leader, who was called of God. One of those, he must, in, he must increase and I must decrease. Which is okay. For somebody who's a Barnabas, it's okay when there's somebody else that's doing better. Because that's really what you're about. You want them to do better, even better than you. Success for a son or daughter of encouragement is lifting up and bringing out the best in others. 
even that means beyond what you can do. And because Barnabas took that risk to be an encourager to Paul, think about the difference that made. It's hard to imagine that there would have been a great apostle Paul as we know it if it were not for Barnabas. Now, obviously, God will accomplish his will one way or the other. But this encouraging guy in the background was a part of bringing about God's best for and in Paul that changed the world at that time, set things upside down or right side up, whichever. And I just think that we would have more Pauls today in the church if we had more Barnabases. Are you with me? Who are you being a Barnabas to? Who are you being part of, of, uh, of bringing out God's best in someone? Perhaps even someone right here in this congregation. Did you know that within this congregation, that may even be here today, that there is somebody that God wants to use in an amazing and powerful way never seen before, not never seen before in the life of OCCA, not never seen before in the life of our community, but of the world. You know, the Billy Grahams had to come out of somewhere. It wasn't, you know, just out of a regular old town, church, etc., I could have that person among us right now. But he will not be seen until we start to see Barnabases living as sons and daughters of encouragement. Being a Barnabas means bringing out, being your best with others as well. Not just bringing out their best, but being your best. Let's just look at that final part in Acts chapter 15. This is not always easy. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, this is Acts 15, verse 36. Again, all these scriptures that I'm mentioning are in those sermon notes. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left and commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That first missionary journey that we just talked about earlier that on Acts 13, they got sent out. It was amazing. It, I mean, God just moved, and they were like, hey, let's do it again. And Paul and Barnabas were, yes, yes, we do need to do this again. And God is telling us we need to do this again. They were in agreement about the importance of the journey, but they were not in agreement about who should be on this journey. And in that moment... The issue of whether John Mark should go with them or not caused a parting, a breaking up of their great team that God had used in an amazing way. 
It happened in many ways because Barnabas was being Barnabas and Paul was being Paul. Uh, that might sound bad, but I explain it. As we think about who was right and who was wrong. It's possible in this that neither one was wrong, per se. Although, you got to wonder whether it was handled wrong. It could have been handled differently. Not that either one was totally wrong, but it definitely is a division that took place between them. And there was a distraction of what God wanted to see happen. And it could have been an opportunity for Satan to get a foothold uh, in the door that was open in this whole disagreement that was so sharp, a sharp dispute that happened. But in the end, God got the victory, especially in a sense, even think about this way. Now there were two missionary teams that went out. It wasn't what you wanted. It wasn't seemed like that was good, but God was able to take that which was meant for evil and turn it to good. So what was the big problem? Paul, being Paul, was being true to his purpose of why he was here, why he existed, why God had called him. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Paul kind of summarizes that mission when he met Jesus and what he was supposed to be doing. And part of that mission that Paul heard from God was that he was to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. That was his, his burning passion. That was not just a passion. That was the purpose God himself had placed upon Paul to go and win the lost, the farthest away. And then you add in the fact that it's hard to deny that John Mark deserted them. And that kind of weakness was not going to be strong enough to make it through this next trip because they had already seen it and they know this time it's going to be even more dangerous that they were about to embark upon. Not just dangerous that dealt with other human opposition but with satanic opposition that was going to come. And this was not the kind of trip you take someone that is not reliable on. Someone you had to babysit. Saving souls for eternity. Saving souls for eternity who were apart from Christ was too important to endanger it with someone like John Mark come along and to endanger John Mark. Paul was about saving lives and yet Barnabas was arguing for John Mark because he was about redeeming lives. His purpose and why he was here, why God had called him, who God had made him was to encourage different from Saul's. It wasn't about blood being thicker than water because John Mark was his cousin. It was because Barnabas was being his best at being an encourager to everyone, no matter who they were, to believe the best and bring out the best. Paul was concerned about how John Mark could be able to work for God. But Barnabas was concerned about how God could be able to work in John Mark. They're just two different ways, two different things. In many ways, it shouldn't have been a surprise to Paul that Barnabas was insisting that John Mark goes with them. I just picture Paul saying something like, what? Take John Mark, why? It makes absolutely no sense that you would be standing up for John Mark when you know what he's done. Why in the world would you take him? And you can imagine Barnabas biting his lip 
is a son of encouragement. This may not have been the time to say it, but uh, Paul, can you think of anyone else I've ever done something like that for? Believing the best in you and trying to bring out the best? Now, it's true, there's a difference between John, Mark, and Paul. Paul, in his past, was the enemy, uh, you know, but he changed. Paul had a complete turnaround that changed. He said he changed. People who knew Paul, who saw him, other disciples from other places, everybody who saw, saw Paul had changed. But when it comes to John Mark, there is no evidence that we have in this moment that John Mark has changed at all. But that didn't matter to a Barnabas, to a son of encouragement. It's interesting that later there is a healing between Paul and Barnabas and also between Paul and John Mark and what goes on. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes this. In fact, he writes good things about John Mark a number of places. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says this. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. It wasn't just that there was a change in Paul. It was that there was a change in John Mark because Barnabas invested. He was a being, a Barnabas, an encouragement that believed the best and brought out the best. Speaking of which, there was more than just that because you know where we get our gospel of Mark from, don't you? John Mark. This is difficult for some of us. This encouragement with people who have failed, maybe even failed you, maybe even hurt you. Especially those that dislike, there doesn't seem to be any change. They they say they'll change, but they haven't. There's sorrow, tears, but nothing is different. Sons and daughters of encouragement, that doesn't mean, that doesn't matter to us. We don't completely write them off because we believe with God all things are possible. And that God's best is still possible within him. Not to be naive. Not to suddenly just receive somebody back. Oh, you say you changed? Okay. But you know what? I believe it's possible in you. For you to have changed. I believe it's possible for God to do a work in you. For your life to be redeemed and for things to be completely different. And I want to help you. I want to walk along with you in this so that that which you believe is on the inside can come outside because the fruit has to grow from this root that you're talking about. And, and you got to do it. You don't have to prove it to me. You don't have to be perfect. But you really do have to live what you say. I still believe that you can be a better person and do better things and that God has greater things for your life. I'm not sure that you're there yet, but I believe with God's help that you can be. Do you want to be different? Because I want to see that in you and I want to help that in you. It's not that Barnabas was 100% sure it was going to work with Mark, but how was he even 100% sure it was going to work with Paul? We're not always 100% sure with somebody, but you know what? Our trust is in the Lord, not in them. 
even if they fail again, guess what? We still love them. It may be that our encouragement needs to change to exhortation. We'll talk about that next week. There may be other actions and things that we need to do, but we need to understand why somebody keeps falling in the same hole. There may be addictions. There may be unresolved issues in their soul, spiritual bondage, even with the, uh, the, the devil. There may be just a lack of courage to do it. But when somebody fails, when you've tried to walk alongside them, that doesn't mean they failed you or they've let you down. We don't need to take that personal because they probably already are taking it personal. They probably already deep inside themselves feel like they've let God down and feel defeated and discouraged. And once again, they're at the point where for them it's just better to stay down and not get up because it's impossible. I am impossible. But as sons and daughters of encouragement, we are to give them courage to know that while they have lost this battle, they have not lost the war. To get up, to not give up, but rather to give in to the God of the impossible. That's what we're to do with people. That's what the scriptures tell us to do. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. To encourage and build one another up. To be the Barnabas. To be a son or daughter of encouragement. Ask the worship team to come. Who is it in your life? And if you can't think of anybody, you pray God will give you somebody. That you need to be a Barnabas, a son or daughter of encouragement. Who is it that you've kind of been the anti-Barnabas? A son or daughter of discouragement in someone's life. That needs to change around and see their life changed. To speak and hear the voice of God through you instead of the voice of the enemy through so many other things. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in obedience to your word about encouraging one another to not just do it, but to be it. To be sons and daughters of encouragement to live this. We've seen, as we've done a quick study of Barnabas' life, an example. Not only of someone who did it and lived it, but how it worked with your power. Raise up Barnabas' among us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.